blocking. Deep pattern downfield. Touchdown, Miami. What a throw. Devontae Parker. Holy smokes. What a drive. What is up, Dolphins fans? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield. It is Tuesday, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, you know what time it is on Tuesday. We break down the All-22, talk about each unit, each player within those units, and how they all performed. We'll also look at the PFF numbers, the next-gen numbers, the snap counts, tell you what all of that means. We'll scan the social and do plenty, plenty more. All of that on a very busy Tuesday edition of the podcast from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. Right away off the top, I want to remind you all that on Saturday, October the 2nd, we have the Don Shula Celebration of Life at Hard Rock Stadium at 4 p.m. Eastern Time out here in Miami Gardens. Plenty of Miami Dolphins alumni are going to be in attendance. You do not want to miss that. It's a Miami Dolphin fan must-see if you're in the area. Go ahead and check out the website right now for details on how to reserve your spot. Let's talk some all 22 tape here in this game against the Las Vegas Raiders on Sunday. Miami falls 31 to 28 in overtime. And I want to go over the offense and defense, the individuals, and break it all down and start here with some notes on the offense. And one of the things that people keep asking me is, what do you see in terms of why this offense hasn't been able to get vertical? And I just think it's a myriad of things. Like, for instance, your very first drive of the game, you go three by one. And what that means is you have three options to one side of the formation, one to the other side of the formation. And typically the running back, whichever direction he is, according to the quarterback, can make that four by one or three by two. In this case, it was three by two. But you wind up having your tight end on the backside of the formation all by himself. That's what we call Y ISO. Tight ends are often going to be referred to as the Y position on the field when they're jammed in line, attached to the line of scrimmage, and you isolate those guys in the backside of the formation. It gives you some one-on-one opportunities. But by the time Jacoby on this particular play gets back to the front side where he had Jalen Waddle wide open on a nasty whip route or a jerk route to create separation from the three position, which if you listen to the podcast frequently, your one is the furthest outside, two is the next closest inside, and then three is the one closest into the line of scrimmage or closest in to the offensive tackle on the line of scrimmage. And from that three position, Waddle breaks to the inside, puts his foot in the ground, breaks it back outside. And by the time Jacoby wants to go from the backside to the front side to find that read, protection's already breaking down. So that's one way you can fail to get to that second read in the progression. It's not the quarterback's issue. It's a protection issue at that point. Later on, there's a screen pass. And, you know, look, Jacoby Brissett took accountability for that play. And I don't think there's a whole lot more you can go into on that play than what he talked about. There's options for a quick hitter to Shaheen on the inside. And the Raiders are almost inviting the pass over the middle of the formation there in that empty package. Then the ball is just way too high on the throw, which of course leads Waddle to have to jump three feet off the ground. That's just like a Murphy's Law type of play where everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Later in the game, I think the reason the offense is struggling the way they are right now is just trying to get all of that to come together. We talk about those small little things that equate to overall shortcomings offensively. One play, you'll have a protection bus. We talked about on the top, uh, the, the first play. The next, you'll have a drop pass or a missed throw like we talked about on that second play. It's just often been something that happens 
and I expect it to get better. I also think kind of trying to work in a different quarterback to his game and his style and what he does best and counter your, your what you do best to what he does best, I don't think it does any favors with regards to developing continuity and also identity on offense. So my approach to this is to kind of give it eight to 10 games before you really start to conjure up your grand takeaways from what this offense and what this team can ultimately be. And hopefully they find some success and wins in that period of time. But right now, I just think the rhythm is slightly off and it's tough for a play caller to find his specific rhythm to get the quarterback going, to really find his feel for the game when you have a change at quarterback and you get your big free agent wide receiver back in week number three, trying to get him back into the offense. Plus, there's some shuffling up front on the offensive line. I think they'll find out who they are soon, but I just don't think it's happened quite yet. And the final quarter and, o- and the overtime period of that game, there were some really encouraging signs of them gearing towards finding that identity in the quick strike offense that can balance the run game in there and take advantage of that quick strike offense and anticipation of the quarterback to develop your deep game off of those throws. I think that's where you want to get. I think they're trending slowly towards that. And we saw that late in the game. It's just not quite there yet, but I think things began to kind of click for them and we'll see if the offense can continue that rhythm and that momentum and what they did well in the late portions of that game and build off it for future success. Because Early in this game, there's a lot of two-man route combinations with the release valve. Like you have Waddle or Fuller running side to the sideline, three yards behind the line of scrimmage. And if the two routes are covered up, which in this game they were constantly because of that Raiders kind of peel back zone coverage we talked about all week long. That cover three that invites the underneath stuff and basically like Jacoby Brissett said is a sin to let routes get deep on top of that defense. So a few times he took those short outlet routes. But I'd be curious to see if there's some more crossing stuff, some more mesh, some more, you know, smash concept where you have some stuff on the outside that can get the receiver into a position where he can catch the football on the move and turn it up and make a play that way. But the Dolphins' most offensive success in this game and at times this season has been when the clock was a factor, like the last drive of that first half or end of the game down by two scores when you're in urgency mode and that forces a certain type of offense that's when they've been at their best. So my thought is continue doing what you did best in those moments, in those areas, and expand that for a 60-minute game. And so for me, that was quick strike offense, mix in the running game, and give yourself looks in the run game and pass game that look kind of similar. And we had some of that action on some return motion, some zone reads, some of the inside shovel passes. There was a third down conversion that was successful in the fourth quarter to Gasicki that comes off a zone read look they ran earlier in the game. And so you build off that stuff. And I think, I hope, I believe they're going to put some of that play sequencing in and continue to build off of that. But the quick strike game with the run game balance and then the anticipation downfield shots based upon what the coverage gives you and what the coverage dictates, that's why I think this offense can be at their best. And I think, I think I saw that towards the end of the game kind of trending in that direction. Some of the individuals in this game, quarterback Jacoby Brissett, there was some throws I thought were off target, like we talked about with the screen pass. There were some throws to the backs that were a little bit behind, and in particular, the throw to Gaskin. That was a, a, a bad miss. He'll tell you the same thing. But mechanically, I was looking at that play, and he just wasn't set. Like he, His feet were kind of, his base had widened. He tried to kind of groove the ball out there to Gaskin rather than putting it right on him to give him a chance for a run after the catch. When mechanically he's not all together and can't really drive through you know, the hip drive and, and get the lower half involved, that's when things kind of go awry on him as far as 
accuracy goes. But when he has it right, you can see him really thread that keyhole. Like, for instance, right after that miss to Gaskin, he comes back and puts it in the keyhole to Devontae Parker on a fourth down and eight. But I think the way he really is at his best is when things kind of are chaotic around him. And that's what Seth Levitt said on the postgame show on uh, on Sunday night after the game where he does his best work when the things around him are sloppy and his scramble at the end of the first half it gives you a good snapshot of the Raiders defense because they would basically pull everything back and keep everything in front of them so he tucks it takes off makes a move and hits a big time run there not just to extend the drive but to keep the ball away from that red hot Raiders offense so he made some good off script plays some scramble plays and some big runs and had a few big throws in there as well but also had some misses I think in general you can get better play from the quarterback but it wasn't a bad game necessarily from Jacoby Brissett when all things considered especially when you you bring in that last part of the game the fourth quarter and overtime running backs you know coach talked about being more consistent in the run game and on the very first drive of the game after the initial first down of the game, they went with this wide run to Miles Gaskin to the short side of the field where they pull both Dieter and Davis. And you get outstanding blocks really across the board. Jackson, Smythe, Davis, and Dieter. And one of my favorite things about Miles is his ability to make defenders commit to the wrong gap by pressing certain gaps and then the field to get to the backside part of that gap. But it looked like he stretched this one a bit too far and it allowed the help defenders to flow and to cut him down. And that's kind of... Something I think you can get more out of with Miles in terms of hitting bigger plays, the 20-plus yard runs, the explosive plays, because this play has a big gap and it only goes for four yards. And so while I love his patience a lot of the time, at times it can also be his crutch, and I think it was on that particular play. This run game had the big explosive play to Malcolm Brown with great blocking, but I think there's more on the bone in terms of the blocking that can give you more in terms of running backs making plays, making tacklers miss at the second and third level. Once we start getting that consistently, that can open things up in a whole new level for this Dolphins offense. At receiver slash tight end, Jalen Waddle and Mike Gesicki are the only two guys I really have notes on here. Waddle, I noted his hands and the concentration on a third and five conversion right before the Malcolm Brown touchdown. And the ball's outside of his frame. He reaches out and plucks it and then has the concentration to re-catch it after he kind of bobbled it. You love to see that. He also had a route on the first play of the eventual Jason Sanders missed field goal drive where he takes off down the middle and splits Las Vegas' too high safety look they have on this particular play. And Brissett looked like he wanted to go there. And if he had some time, he could maybe hit that. And that could really change things, obviously, both in terms of the production standpoint, but also the way defenses play you. And I thought on this play, he had a chance to go to Waddle deep down the field. And I want to see some chances taken to that guy because we've seen him make those plays in college and here at camp time and time again. And, you know, Flores talked about some of the opportunities he thought they had in this game vertically. I thought that was one of them. I think that Waddle's on the verge of making some big plays because he's been open a couple times and these are both vertical balls, but also crossing patterns where he thinks maybe he had a chance to make a catch and a big run after the fact because the ball maybe was a little bit low or behind. He can't stay on his feet and continue making that play. But I think he's going to get there very soon, whether it's, you know, protection breakdowns or the ball goes elsewhere. He's been open quite a bit when he's had a chance to get vertical. Mike Gesicki, man, he really got things going in that fourth quarter. His ability to work through jams and stay on balance and understand how to kind of extend the stem of the route beyond that contact and win the hand fight up the stem and then break that thing off right when he gets to the point of kind of no return for the defensive back. Like, I'm going to go left. No, I'm not. I'm going right. And he does that so well. The growth he's shown year to year in that area with the nuance in his route running and the ability to kind of use his arms to keep himself on balance to to fend off the contact of the defender it's such a valuable asset for a quarterback because he's not 
you know, he's not going to leave guys in the spin cycle with this electric route running, but he's so good at attacking the leverage and creating space or creating separation that way. There's a few instances of this where he just kind of breaks off his route or bends his stuff back to the quarterback. Just a lot of really impressive veteran stuff from Mike Gesicki. And then there's also the speed to create distance between his man on, on man coverage on some of those crossing routes. We saw it last year in the Frisco game. We saw it on the fourth and 20. And then the catch radius, you got to love that for a young quarterback when Tua gets back. Mike Gesicki had his best game of the year. I think we'll continue to see him get better as the year goes along. Will Fuller, I cannot wait to see him get going more, but the two-point play is exactly what I think he brings to the offense with the early separation, the ability to really attack the defender with the release and get that separation early. That little jerk route he ran for the two-pointer, chef's kiss, maybe it was perfect. Offensive line, thought there was a lot of good moments, good spurts of play. The first play of the game is blocked so well where Jesse Davis cuts off the nose. Austin Jackson gets a a seal on the outside for a six-yard gain from Malcolm Brown. And that was pretty consistent in the running game for Miami to go for under, over 130 yards. There was a lot of good blocks from, from Jackson, from Davis, from Dieter, and, and from the tight ends as well. I thought in this game, going off the left side was their most productive rushing side in this game. And, you know, Yannick Ngakwe gave Liam Eichenberg some problems with the speed rush in this game. And I think some time at the position for Liam should get him a little bit more natural with a kick slide to cut off those speed rushes because that's what really got him in this game was Ngakwe's upfield speed. Then he flips over to the other side, Ngakwe does, and tries it on Austin Jackson. But Austin gets to his landmark and puts him on the ground. And we talked about the touchdown run quite a bit where Jackson gets a great downfield block and buries his man under the turf at Allegiant Stadium. Jesse Davis has a good block at the point of attack. Adam Shaheen as well on a seal. And Michael Dieter, more chef's kiss there from the offensive line. There was enough reps in this game where you can kind of go back to and say, if you can just build on the consistency, take away some of the negative plays, this offensive line, I thought, made big strides in this game. And then Michael Dieter, I've been so impressed with his game. He's really connecting on multiple dudes on some of these pass sets where guys are running games, they're crossing face. I think he's really processing well right now, and I think that that communication will continue to improve the offensive line as a whole. He did have one bad snap at the end of the first half, and I don't want to gloss over that because those are dead plays. And Peyton Manning said on the broadcast last week that one failed exchange in a season is too much, and if you want to see a coach get really upset mess up a cornerback center exchange, and that happened on one particular snap at the end of the first half. But all things told, I think Michael Dieter has been very solid through the first three games. We got to talk about the failed screen attempt in the middle of the second quarter, and this will actually serve as a scanning the soch for this particular podcast because I don't really have anything else to go over this week, and I've seen this discussed at length on Twitter. Not the Jalen Waddle screen, the play where Austin Jackson and Miles Gaskin let someone go right through the two of them where the end, the defensive end on this play is head up over Austin Jackson. He takes that first step inside, Max Crosby does, and Austin has to squeeze inside. You cannot just bail on the B gap and let that man take a straight run at your quarterback. You can't do that. So you have to get that first step inside. Now, I think more experience will tell Austin that he has to recognize that and have the instincts to okay, I got to take that first step inside, then open my hips and get back vertical to deal with that crossing my face again back to the outside. But that's not so much Austin's cross to bear as it is a thing where you slide protection and perhaps get a chip from the back before releasing into that route. So I just kind of, I think there's a disconnect there between what we saw and what actually happened in this game on the offensive line. And one other thing that I thought was a challenge was Liam Eikenberg's performance. The sack at the end of the first half 
Carl Nassib fakes an inside move like dummies a stunt or a twist to go inside, and it gets Eichenberg to take that lateral step inside like we talked about with Austin Jackson, squeezing inside because you have to do that to prevent the free run up the B-gap, but rather than continuing his vertical set, he continues laterally inside, and that was all Nassib needed to get on the outside shoulder, and he got him there, and they got him a couple times later in the game as well. Not Eichenberg's best performance, but I do think that there's room for growth, and I think he'll continue to to pick that stuff up and, and quiz himself, and every error he makes will make him a better player as the season goes along. Robert Hunt had some moments, but I don't think it was his best game either. The right side of the offensive line had their struggles in this game. He's kind of falling off blocks just narrowly. And I think it's something that he can get ironed out because you see the power he has when he leans on guys, but he's just coming off those blocks, maybe play a little bit lower, a little bit more compact, opposed to kind of reaching out and getting extended over his skis. He's normally really good on the anchor, but he also succumbed to a couple of bull rushes, including one that forced him to hold it on a play late in the third quarter. So a mixed bag for the offensive line, some good plays and spurts, but still some stuff to work on and clean up and correct. Defensively, now the Raiders ran so many rubs and picks in this game. Some of their man beaters just flat out got us. That's, that's just how it was. The third and three conversion towards the end of the first half where Ruggs goes in return motion. It winds up getting him outflanked on Nick Needham, and he had no chance to make a play because of the pre-snap motion, the man indicator, and the quick rip, and it goes for a big gain and a first down. Good on them for the prep work. One thing I think the Dolphins will have to combat, and the Raiders did a good job of attacking the vacancies in Miami's blitzes, particularly when the backers are mugged up on the line of scrimmage, whether it's A-gap, B-gap. If they're up close and they're showing pressure, they threw Texas routes right in behind that to backs or slant routes to tight ends or receivers, angle routes where guys would show outside and come back across the face and go inside to the three receiver or nasty split receivers, which nasty split means you're in tight to the line of scrimmage. And Carr was 12 of 19 for 190 yards with a touchdown and a pick against the Blitz. And I think Miami's counter to that could be to drop out guys like a Christian Wilkins when he got that pick on Jared Goff last year, stuff like that to maybe change up the tendencies because Las Vegas went to work on those looks. They also operated out of a ton of bunches and stacks, which will always challenge your communication, whether you're in zone or in man coverage. I think my biggest takeaway from this entire defensive performance is that John Gruden's in a groove right now and Derek Carr's playing so, so very well. And Brandon Jones told me this on the Monday press conference, that those guys get paid to make plays too. I think it's something we need to all realize as fans and people that cover this game and watch this team every single week so religiously, is that they were a good top-of-the-league offense for a reason, and they played like it. Now, some of the Raiders work to overcome long down and distances and are some plays you'd like to have back here because the Renfro touchdown was a second and 18 before they got to that third down conversion to Renfro. They go nine yards and then 15 yards for a touchdown to Renfro. Like, that's a good chance for a field goal right there. You cannot give up a touchdown after facing second and 18 in the red zone. On the next drive, you had them in second and 20, and it's a dump pass to Kenyon Drake. And Brandon Jones, I asked him about the sacks today as well at the press conference about how he felt about those plays. And he said, I'm more concerned about the plays I didn't make, like this one, for instance. He has a shot on Drake in the backfield, and he misses, and then it turns into a seven-yard gain. So instead of third and 22, it's third and 13. Those small margins can really change the outcome of a football game. And then just real quick, the stop we had after the fourth down failed sneak which was a such a crucial moment in the game. If the Raiders get even one first down, Miami probably doesn't get the game to overtime. Wilkins tackle for loss. John Jenkins stands one up for a short gain, and then Brandon Jones comes clean for a sack right down the middle. A great, great play call by Josh Boyer to get to that blitz against that Raiders look because they were in a they had a double move on and Carr just did not have enough time to set up and make that throw on the double move. Some individuals, Emmanuel Ogba. 
They're lining up double wise, giving him a longer path of the quarterback. And they did this to Jalen Phillips too, but it just didn't matter for Ogba. He was able to get on the upfield shoulder and in a hurry and then flatten to the quarterback quickly. If he can do that, on plays where we have interior pressure as well, it's going to generate some big plays for the defense, some sacks and takeaways and some third downs that get off the field. There's some stuff on the bone there with Ogba's production. He's really getting after it right now. And you literally see it on the third snap. Christian Wilkins has a sack down the middle, but Derek Carr has to flee his spot and runs right into Wilkins because Emmanuel Ogba won so immediately off the edge with his pass rush. And then also in that play, Adam Butler, we talked about this all camp, the twist that he runs, the first step explosiveness. He draws three blockers and then Wilkins comes clean. Want to see some more of that. He was running the arc all game long was Emmanuel Ogba. And the pressure numbers bear that out. I think a lesser quarterback could have made it a huge day for Ogba because Carr was just so damn good about feeling the pressure and getting it out. But he was in there all day long. Uh, We talked about Christian Wilkins. I continue to be impressed with his ability to both anchor against double teams, and that creates chances for linebackers behind him, but also work down the line and get off blocks when he's one-on-one. He's been consistently good so far this year. Uh, Adam Butler, the surge he has as a pass rusher, a pocket collapser. I liked what I saw from him and the edges and the way they work together, like we talked about with the the sack on Christian Wilkins. And then Zach Sealer, man, his work on the turnover on downs series was ridiculous. The first down play holds the point, disengages, makes a tackle. Third down, he gets double teamed, splits it, gets penetration, and that allows Roberts to come in off of his back and scrape it and make a tackle in the backfield. And then fourth down, he kicks out wide to the five technique, chucks the tight end three yards into the backfield, and then grabs the running back and pulls him backwards so he can't get over the line to game. And then he opens up the very next series with a pass breakup. What a big day for Zach Sealer. He's impressive the way he works. So Jalen Phillips, somebody on Twitter asked me to paint the picture of his game because I thought he played well in this game. Number one, I think that he plays physically and sets the pace. And what I mean by that is he does not let stuff come at him. He goes out and gets it. And that can really stunt the offensive line's ability to get push and knockback because he's getting the knockback. He's initiating the contact and forcing the knockback. But I think most of all, that he's not exposing his frame as a pass rusher, and that's such a good sign going forward for him. Watch him against Colt Miller all game long. He made Miller work his butt off to get him blocked. He was in for some pressures, and they had to help with chips and doubles quite a lot in this game. And then there's Derek Carr just getting the ball out hot. But he can really work the hands and give the lineman a very small target on a big guy to shoot at. And I think we've seen incremental growth each week with that. And I really like his development, though it may seem slow. It's just three games. And I think you see the plan slowly but surely going towards fruition. And furthermore, this pairs so well with the ability to get skinny in the hands. I thought his pressure on second and 28 was a good look into his ability to change directions, which will go a really long way towards his success because he can kind of angle inside and then go back outside and come back across face. He has lateral agility to stick his foot in the ground and make the tackle kind of get his momentum going one direction and use that against him. I think he's on his way to becoming what we hope he is as a first round draft pick. Later on in the game, he just comes off a block and stacks up a run. Then later he bowls over Alex Leatherwood on a pass rush move uh, and he pulls him down to the ground with him on that play. So I thought Phillips had himself a good game. At the linebacker position, I thought Jerome Baker had a pretty good day as well. He, He defeats run blocks on much bigger players with speed and effectiveness quite regularly. And he also has coverage later on on a wheel route to Peyton Barber where he 
takes the flat route. The, the, he shows a, a route to the outside. He closes on that and then flips the hips fluidly, the change of direction skills to get upfield on the wheel route and takes that away too. Every down player, combination of doing everything. What a fantastic player Jerome Baker is. Elandon Roberts, the play before the interception, he scrapes off a very nice play by Phillips to whack the pulling guard. And then he greets Kenyon Drake in the backfield, but cannot quite finish the tackle there. But man, you just see it on that play. He's playing so fast. And that has been the case really since about week four or five of last season. He's really on one. And then the interception, I mean, the way he passes off that tight end seam route and closes down on the crosser, that's pure film study. Knowing tendencies, knowing where they want to go with the football, makes a big play and has a huge 82-yard touchdown return in that to start the game off. And then later on, he puts his hat on the football on the touchdown drive right before the two-minute warning. Man, that was such a good play and could have changed the momentum of the game. Instead, they go in for a touchdown on the next play. But big plays by Landon Roberts in this game. Later on, he did get caught, and this is where maybe you look at how you can exp- how you can go after Landon Roberts, where they had two back set and they had a crossing route uh, chase him away from that back that he was kind of looking at pre-snap, and Carr floats a little touch pass to Barber out of the backfield, and Roberts had to get on his horse. And some of the opposing plays, opposing offenses, big plays came through the backs in the passing game on our linebackers. We'll see if Miami can adjust to that going forward. As far as defensive backs, I'm intrigued by this Justin Coleman, Nick Needham usage because Coleman got caught on a pick play in New England, only played like a couple of snaps in that game, and he got the same thing happening this week. So he's so good at man coverage, but he keeps getting caught on these rub routes and pick routes. But the part that really gets me is tackling because we have to make those quick hitters just short gains. There's a play where he comes off Brian Edwards on an eventual on the eventual interception by Landon Roberts, a play before that. He has him tackled after five yards and he can't make the tackle and it turns into a 25-yard gain. You can't have that. Even on plays where he did get guys to the ground, like for instance, there's a second and 10 on the drive after the fourth down stop from the minus 25-yard line. First contact is made at the 29, so a four-yard gain and it winds up going for a first down for 11 yards. You can't have that. It has to improve. At the start of the third quarter, it happens again. Now this time, they simulate a rub route, but it's just a whip route from Zay Jones, and this is going back to, to Justin Coleman, where he gets caught inside and can't change directions outside fast enough, and then he tacks on a 15-yard personal foul call after the fact on a third down conversion. Those are things you can clean up and just make these corrections to get better and hopefully win the game next time. Xavier Howard and Byron Jones, I just wrote these guys are so good. The Raiders were trying to get the ball to Ruggs and Waller, and that was Miami's resolution to those two pieces throughout big chunks of this game. They jam Ruggs and Waller into the boundary to the short side of the field with these nasty splits, which is like double wise. You have basically two tight ends, although it's a tight end and a receiver, in close to the formation. And they both run speed outs, and both X and Byron are all over it. And Carr throws it high and away, basically giving up on the play. Because if he puts the ball on target, X probably has a pick six on that play. And largely quiet days from those two guys. But man, you see it in their technique, knowing where they can get hands on guys, anticipating their breaks and undercutting routes and running the route for the receiver. Really, really good work across the board from those two guys. Now, X had a tough ask on a quadruple move in the slot from Hunter Renfro, and that was a touchdown play. But he also had a huge pass breakup on a third down when Miami trailed by eight and had to have a stop on that play. And then Byron also had that amazing leaping PBU on Darren Waller late in the game. Really, really good days from these top two guys who kind of set the idea of your defense. 
Nick Needham had fantastic coverage on Renfro on an outbreaking route. He splits the receiver's hands and he came back later on, I think it was Zay Jones, I had a similar breakup where he doesn't take the cheese for all the wiggle that Renfro does. Now, he's a, such a good route runner, but Needham stayed in phase on this wheel route. But the very next play, he gets some, and it was a little wheel route where it's the exact same play. And this time, Needham takes the cheese and then he gets upfield on him. But I thought, all things told, Needham had some really good coverage reps. Brandon Jones, the two sacks he had, we talked about the second one already. The first one, he just runs straight through Kenyon Drake, goes over the top of him for the sack. A great job to scheme that up because Jones' ability to execute basically a four-point play where Renfro is free right behind that pressure look to beat that block to get in there. What a hell of a play and also a hell of a call both times from Josh Boyer to get those safety blitzes to get that sack production. Eric Rowe, just consistently so good and so strong. We talked about all the hats that Bake wears. I'm not sure anybody else wears more hats than Bake and Eric Rowe. He's covering tight ends, backs, filling the strong side C-gap as a run defender. He's blitzing the edge, making run stops, getting pass breakups, running around pre-snap and with all the motion and moving the defense around. Such a crucial player in this defense. I love watching him play. Finally, Javon Holland. He had that error as far as the kind of getting late over on the coverage on a certain play, and then he hits the personal foul call as well. But I love the way he processes route concepts. The Raiders tried to get their four verts looks a couple of times against Miami single high look, a man free look where you have a single high safety and man coverage underneath. And they run the vertical routes, two of them, right towards the direction of the field where Holland winds up rolling in that direction. And he does a good job of consistently putting himself in position to make both throws appear too challenging for the quarterback to attempt. You pair that with his ability to play forward, man, you have to love Javon Holland's game. Some numbers here for you real quick to close this podcast out. Actually, not real quick. We have ways to go. Stay with us here. Drive Time Podcast. Subscribe, rate, review us. Jacoby Brissett uh, on 20-plus yard throws, one for five for 27 yards. 10 to 19 yard range, two for five, 27 yards. We talked about this. Dolphins have to find a way to get more vertical and to challenge deep and to challenge the intermediate portions of the field and throw some of those breaking routes that can get guys on the move to create after the catch. And that's going to be so crucial going forward. Under pressure, he was three for 12, 42 yards, three and a half yards per attempt. And when he was blitzed, three for eight with 22 yards, 2.8 yards per attempt. That's where Tua, I think, really shines against the blitz. So hopefully Jacoby can pick it up as we get closer to Tua's return. The running backs, Gaskin had four missed tackles, forced average three yards per run after contact and had two 10 plus yard runs. So some good work there from the running game. Wouldn't mind seeing them go more consistently to the running game, especially after that first quarter, averaging eight yards per rush. Let's use the receivers in next gen. Then we'll go, we'll go to the offensive line first and come back to the receivers in the next gen portion. Uh, pressures, Robert Hunt, six, two hits, one sack. Austin Jackson had six pressures allowed. One was a quarterback hit. Liam Eichenberg had four pressures allowed. One was a sack. Same for Jesse Davis, four pressures, one sack. And then Smythe, Shaheen, and Dieter all had one quarterback pressure each. And Shaheen's was a hit. The others were hurry. So you kind of see the production there. The tackle position kind of not the best production, 10 total pressures there. And then Robert Hunt at right guard, two, six pressures. The right side of the offensive line had a tough day, but I thought Dieter was pretty good on the center. And then Jesse Davis had some moments as well, but really mostly in pass protection, it's been Michael Dieter's been the best one so far. Defensively pressures allowed, or pressures gained, I should say. Ogba had six, that brings him to 15 for the season. That's tied for eighth among all NFL defensive ends. 
Uh, Brandon Jones had three in the game. Phillips, Gink, and Rowe had two apiece. Wilkins, Baker, and Butler all had one. And then run stops, Christian Wilkins had uh, six in the game. He has 10 on the season. That's tied for first with Zach Sealer for most in the NFL. Sealer also had four in this game. So Miami's run defense had a bunch of wins in this game. But missed tackles, man. Pro Football Reference has Miami with 15 missed tackles, 11th most in the National Football League. I believe that's going to get better. It's just not been good enough through three games. Some interesting numbers here to see Xavier Howard, the most targeted defender. Seven targets, four receptions, 63 yards, a touchdown, and a pass breakup. Byron Jones, four uh, receptions on six targets, 49 yards. Jerome Baker, four receptions on six targets for 34 yards. Needham, three of five, 52 yards. Justin Coleman, four for four, 94 yards. Those rub routes kept getting him all game long. Brandon Jones, three for three, 52 yards. Eric Rowe, two for three, 13 yards. He also had the quarterback hit that led to a pick. And then Landon Roberts, one for two, 23 yards, and the pick six. Just love the way he processed that entire play on the pick six. Some next-gen stats for you guys. The ball's still coming out quick. 2.67 seconds for Jacoby. Tua's at 2.5 seconds. Jacoby's longest air yard completion is 28 yards. That's the lowest high for any quarterback in the National Football League. Does that that make sense? The lowest high? 28-yard completion is the longest through the air of the season for Jacoby, and no other quarterback has a lower high watermark. He's also got a negative 3.5 completion over expected. That's towards the bottom as well. Malcolm Brown's .36 rush yards over expected ranks 15th best in the league. And Gaskin's right behind him at .33 at 20th best in the league. Now Gaskin averages 3.07 seconds behind the line of scrimmage. That's the second most in the league. But also look who's near him. This is interesting to me. Kareem Hunt's number one. Nick Chubb's number three. Melvin Gordon, number four. It's interesting because there are different schemes all across the top of the board here. I want to look at this further and kind of find out what causes the behind the line of scrimmage numbers there. It intrigues me. I don't have the answer yet. We'll talk about it more on a future podcast. Separation numbers on next gen. Waddle, 4.4 yards average separation, ranks eighth in the National Football League. But you know what? He's in territory there with Adam Humphreys, Braxton Berrios, some tight ends and running backs. Rondell Moore leads the NFL with 6.8, but he's a lot of screens, behind the line of scrimmage throws. This is traditionally, you know, you want to have explosive numbers in this area, but these guys have been mostly tight ends and backs and slot receivers. Just speaks to Waddle's usage in terms of a dot. It's been very short for him this year, just a few yards down the field, 3.7 yards of a dot and still averages 4.4 yards of separation. I want to see him more vertical, more intermediate. Uh, Will Fuller, 3.6 yards separation. Devontae Parker, 1.9. Only By- or Brian Edwards, Brian Edwards, Allen Robinson, Kenny Galladay, Brandon Ayuk, Diami Brown, then Devontae Parker towards bottom of the league separation stats. But that's the, those guys' game, right? Mike Kosicki's just ahead of Parker at 2.0. But so is A.J. Brown, Jamar Chase. Like, you can win with that play style. It just tells you their play style. They're not going to be big-time separators. We talked about Waddle's 3.7 A dot. That's... That's very, very low. Preston Williams is 2.7. Jakeem Grant, 5.0. Devontae Parker, 14.6. Will Fuller, 20 yards of dot, helped out by that big, deep pass yesterday. And then Albert Wilson, 8 yards averaged at the target. And Mike Gesicki is fourth among tight ends with at least 10 targets at 9.4 yards averaged at the target. Big play tight end. Snap counts. Offensive line goes bell to bell. Jacoby as well. 83 snaps for Jacoby. Jackson, Davis, Dieter, Hunt, Nikenberg. That's a good sign. Let's try to get that, that offensive line going consistently in the same direction, keep the same lineup out there. Hopefully they can continue to do that and develop and get better. At receiver, Waddle led the way, which you know the offense kind of flows through Waddle. He played 73 snaps, 88% of the snaps. Devontae Parker, 64. Uh, Will Fuller, 51 snaps. That's 61% in his return. Uh, Mac Collins, 24 snaps. 
Jakeem Grant played just two, and of course, Williams and Wilson were inactive in this game. I look at this receiving core. There's some guys that can really hit some blocks downfield, be more part of the run game, be more versatile in the positions they play, both inside, outside. I think just based upon my knowledge of this offense, of this team, that was the idea there. At the tight end position, Mike Gesicki, 55 snaps. That was 66% of the total. Smythe, 34. Shaheen, 28. Long, 2. And Seathan Carter was active but didn't play any snaps. I think you see Mike Gesicki get more involved as the passing game opens up. Hopefully we see more of that going forward. At running back, Miles Gaskin, 43 snaps. That's 52%. Malcolm Brown, 34 snaps. Savon Ahmed, just five snaps. So you think Miami in this game wanted to be more physical, wanted to be a little bit bigger, and probably more pass protection oriented with those two backs, Gaskin and Brown in the game over Savon Ahmed. On the interior defensive line, Christian Wilkins led the way with 57 snaps. That was 69% of the total. John Jenkins played 47. Zach Seeler, 42. Adam Butler, 41. So those guys' conditioning has been just top-notch to be able to go that many snaps in a, a long football game. Off the edge, Emmanuel Ogbaugh played 63 snaps. That was 76% of the workload. Phillips played 49. Van Ginkle, 39. Brandon Scarlett, 18. So I look at that and I think, man, they really wanted to get those four-man pressure looks with Phillips and Ogbaugh, and they had their chances and got close to some plays. Then you saw some Brandon Scarlett and some obvious rundowns, some Andrew Van Ginkle sprinkled in there. That's probably going to be the rotation numbers going forward, I would imagine. In most games, of course, game plan specific can change that, but that sounds like a pretty safe bet to be the rotation going forward. At linebacker, Jerome Baker, all 83 snaps. What a crazy athlete he is. Landon Roberts, 47 snaps. That was 57%. And then Sam Egwavon played five. Duke Riley played one. So what does that tell you? More run defense-centric, more let's go ahead and not call in as much blitzing like Sam Egwavon can do, but more you know downhill flowing with Landon Roberts in the running game. At cornerback, Xavier played 80 snaps. Byron played 77. Needham, 57. Justin Coleman, 25. It kind of seems like they're, they're leaning towards Needham being your third cornerback uh, in the rotation there. At safety, Eric Rowe, 65 snaps. Javon Holland, 42. Jason McCourty, 41. Brandon Jones, 36. And Clayton Fedulum, 1. I think that safety room is going to continue to rotate and change throughout the course of the season based upon your matchups you have there. So those are your snap counts. Some special team snap counts. Fedulum 28, Scarlett 27, and Brandon Jones 24. Gink, Riley, and Carter all had 20 snaps apiece on special teams in this game. Reminder again, before we get out of here, Don Shula, celebration of life. Hard Rock Stadium, October 2nd, the day before the Colts game, 4 p.m. Eastern. Tons of alumni in in attendance. You will not want to miss that. In the meantime, that's going to be my time. Caroline, Daddy is coming home. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast. They have Kendall Lankford, former Dolphins defensive end in the tank this week with Seth and OJ. Check out YouTube.com for our media availabilities. And, of course, MiamiDolphins.com, the three written takeaways up right now. Until next time, fins up.